0: Holy Spirit, we pray that you would please be here in these next few minutes and use what I'm going to say, use the thoughts that we are going to think to help us hear from you and be changed by you and be your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to welcome those of you watching in the community center and watching online. It is great to have you with us as well as all of you here. Awesome to have all of you on a sunny day. A couple years ago, I was doing a wedding with another pastor. We were co-officiating, and it was a very nice wedding, except for one problem. The other pastor kept calling the bride by the wrong name. Her name was Marsha, and he kept calling her Sarah. And through the whole ceremony, I had to keep whispering to him, it's not Sarah, it's Marsha, Marsha. It was, it was very embarrassing, especially since Sarah was the name of the groom's ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that wasn't good. That was awkward. The bride was very gracious about it, though. That is a very good example of how the wrong word at the wrong time can cause a lot of problems. Because our words have power. Our words have power. And we don't always think of it that way, but our words have enormous power. When I was in graduate school, I took a whole class on a philosophy called deconstruction, which claims that words are meaningless. They don't, they don't mean anything at all. A whole class on that. That's a lot of words about how words are meaningless. And the professor's favorite line was, words are just random signifiers floating in a semiotic void. I thought, your lecture is a semiotic void. (laughs) Words are not meaningless. They have enormous power. The passage we read today says our tongue is like a rudder. It's small, but it can steer a whole ship. Or it's like a spark that can set a forest on fire. Our words can give joy or they can cause tremendous pain. Our words can build up or they can destroy a person, a church, a whole community. This fall, we're talking about how the Ten Commandments are meant to set us free so that we can thrive at optimum performance. And we've said about each command that they are each like the tip of an iceberg. There's a whole lot more underneath than just a command. And that is very true of the Ninth Commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, which often gets interpreted as don't lie. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. The actual Hebrew for the word false testimony means vain, empty, or untrue. So another way to say this command would be do not say vain, empty, untrue things that harm others. For their sake, but also for our own. Because when we say things that hurt other people, we hurt ourselves. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think deeper than that, way down at the positive heart of this command, deeper than that, I think the real issue in this command is we are not having nearly as much fun with our words as we could be. And I'll explain that in a minute. But ultimately, following the ninth command is a lot of fun. Now, I don't know about you, but I, don't, I sometimes don't think that's true. Because to be honest, misusing words through things like lying, complaining, gossip, put-downs. I mean, let's be honest, we like to do that sometimes, right? Like on that list, there's something that we all like to do. And that's part of what I love about Shakespeare. I mean, his insults were just so artistic and, you know, you can laugh at them and feel educated and not mean, right? And No, I'm sophisticated, right? Or Winston Churchill, the master of the put-down, right? And Many of you know the story about a woman who said to him, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. And he said, Madam, if I were your husband, I'd drink it, right? (laughs) You just have to admire the wit, especially since he was drunk when he said it. So, you know, the ninth command is kind of hard because we think, oh, it's just so much fun to complain and gossip and all of that stuff. But you know what I've been discovering? I'd say in the last couple of years that it's actually way more fun to bless and empower other people rather than tear them down with our words and misuse our words. Which we do in all kinds of ways, don't we? We misuse our words in all kinds of ways, and that's really what this command is about. Don't misuse your words. For instance, we do it through lying, which causes all kinds of problems. For starters, it manipulates other people, usually to their harm. You know, if I am selling my house and I misrepresent its true condition, and the person buys it, then I've done that person a lot of economic damage. But but more than that, it doesn't hurt just the other person, it hurts also me, because if we lie, we have to keep our stories straight, and eventually that all gets kind of stressful. We might get discovered at some point, and that breaks down relationship. But it can erode trust in whole communities. We are a nation of people that do not trust one another anymore, because there's so much lying. Lying wrecks relationships. That's the real issue with lying. It just wrecks them. And we do it so casually, I mean, we do it so easily. We, we lie and we don't even notice it, right? Little things that we say, like, oh yeah, I mailed that check to you yesterday. Right? No, it's not me, it's the post office. You gotta understand, right? Ever done that one? Or how about, yeah, I don't really watch much TV. Oh, occasionally PBS. Oh, far out, you're watching Desperate Housewives and Entourage, and you know it, right? I mean, I've watched those shows as a sociological study to understand what my congregation is watching. (laughs) Or how about this one that happens in churches sometimes? Ooh, that sounds hard. I'll pray for you. Now, if you get out your Christian English, English Christian dictionary, you know what that phrase really means is, I'm done talking to you, but I don't know how to get out of this conversation. So I'll just say, I'll pray for you, but I never will. Right? And we just do it so easily. Now, I am not saying that it's wrong to say, I'll pray for you. I mean, sometimes that is the only way we can end a conversation. It's the only thing to say, I'll pray for you. I've said it many times. But years ago, I made a commitment to myself that if I say that phrase, I'll actually do it. Now, I know the whole issue of lying, it raises all kinds of questions. You know, is is it ever okay to tell a lie? You know, what if it's to protect someone's life? I mean, isn't there any circumstance that you can tell a lie in? You know, like... What about, honey? Does this dress make me look fat? You know? know, Now, gentlemen, you're on your own there. (laughs) And I'm certainly not saying that we have to be rude. You know, don't have to say something like, oh, no, dear, it's not the dress, right? You know, don't have to be rude. (laughs) Do not do that at home, right? (laughs) No, the intention, that's just being legalistic. The intention of the ninth command. Is how do we use our words? To build others up or to tear them down and to create bonds of trust or lie and break relationship. Second way we misuse words is by complaining. I'm not talking about sharing our wounds and our hurts with others. That's healthy. I'm talking about complaining, going on and on. It just poisons the atmosphere. I used to work in an office where everyone complained constantly and I I just hated going there because it was so negative and discouraging and oppressive and I used to come home every night and complain to my wife about it. (laughs) I have seen churches ruined, ruined by folks complaining over the smallest things and it just poisons the atmosphere and so pretty soon people just start leaving. You know, because believe it or not, nobody gets up on a Sunday morning and says, let's go find the angriest church we can go to. I mean, have you ever, and complaining just does all kinds of damage to people around us, but to ourselves, right? Even to ourselves. Because when we complain, we just fill our hearts with bitterness and negative feelings and anger. Have you ever seen a happy complaining person? No. Third way we misuse our words is the harsh things we say to others that can stick for years. The singer Karen Carpenter grew up being referred to as Richard Carpenter's chubby little sister. And as you know, Karen Carpenter died of anorexia. Those labels can stick with us for years. And then finally, a fourth way we misuse our words is gossip. And we love this one, don't we? I mean, we are a nation of gossips. Reality TV, tabloids, we just love it. But gossip does real damage. In a minute, you can destroy a reputation that took a lifetime to build. It's a form of murder, really. You've taken a part of that person's life. And it is never 100% true. Let me say that again. Gossip is never, ever, under any circumstances, in no point in human history, has gossip ever been 100% true. There may be truth in it, but at bare minimum, the other person's not there to give their side of the story or give context for what they said and did. And context really matters, doesn't it? Context matters. I know of a guy whose wife was out one night pursuing her hobby, which was making porcelain dolls in a doll-making class. And the phone rang, and his five-year-old daughter answered, and he heard his daughter say, ''No, my mom's not here right now. She's out making a baby, but my dad's home!'' (laughs) That could have done a lot of damage, couldn't it? You know if that story got spread around, right? Could have caused a lot of damage, out of context. It is so easy to get the wrong impression or have only half the story. And then as that gets passed from person to person, it just gets distorted. Bottom line, our words can do a lot of damage to ourselves, to others, and to whole communities. But more than that, the real problem with misusing our words is that we're not having nearly as much fun with our words as we could be. Remember, for every thou shalt not, there are some thou shalts. And, and the positive heart of this command is that it is way more fun to use our words to bless and empower others than to manipulate them with our lies or tear them down or complain or gossip. It's way more fun to use our words well. And I'm not talking about being sort of phony, fakie, saccharine sweet. You know, that can sometimes be a problem in churches. I'm not talking about that. When I was growing up, my parents had some friends who were really into the power of positive thinking, so they would never say anything negative. So, for instance, if they had a cold, they wouldn't say that. Instead, they'd say, I have a warm ick, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> gross, right? That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. God does not want a bunch of saccharine phonies running around. So how can our words be life-giving in authentic ways that give joy to others and give joy to ourselves? Zillion things I could say here. I'm just going to focus on two. The first is this. Let's get a heart transplant. Get a heart transplant. Jesus says this. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. Oh, I hate that Jesus said that. Like that just That verse just nails me to the wall. You know, if I bump a cup of coffee, what spills out is coffee, right? If I am put under pressure and what comes out of my mouth is cursing or complaining or gossip, that's what's in my heart. Maybe not totally. There are good things in my heart, but at least in part. And by the way, it's not even better you—it's not any better if you don't say it, you just think it, right? It's still, it's just a matter of our hearts. The issue is our heart. So I need to fill my heart with Jesus by connecting with him in prayer. I need to fill my mind with the words of Scripture so that those are the words in my head, not the other words. So as I say almost every week, this week, will you take some time to connect to Jesus in prayer? Imagine him sitting next to you because he is. And then pay attention to the thoughts that pop into your head because some of them might be from God. We need a heart transplant. And then second, this week, discover the, joy, discover the joy of blessing and empowering others with your words because that is way more fun than gossip or complaining or manipulating people with your lies. It's way more fun. You have the power to change someone's day, maybe even someone's life. In one sentence, somebody who thought they were alone realizes they're not alone. Somebody who didn't feel loved suddenly can feel loved. Somebody who is confused can receive direction. Somebody who is ready to give up receives hope. In one sentence, you can change a person's life. And that is fun because, let's face it, we all love power, right? We all love power and this is one of the most powerful things you can do, is to speak truth and goodness into someone's life and empower them. So, Before tomorrow night, I'm going to give you an assignment, should you choose to accept it. Before tomorrow night, a little more than 24 hours, would you do this one thing? Say to a coworker, neighbor, friend, spouse, child, say a sentence that starts with this phrase. You know what's great about you is... And then just pause there before you fill in the blank. You know what's great about you is... And then just watch their face. Watch their eyes light up. Watch their posture get straighter and then go on to say something that is great about them. Now, here's the thing. It's got to be true, okay? No false flattery. It's got to be true. Right? if somebody said to me, you know what's great about you, Scott, is you have the face of Brad Pitt and the build of Taylor Lautner. Okay, here's the problem with that. I know deep down that's true. <laughs> In a balding, middle-aged kind of a way, you know, that... There is an inner hunk deep inside. He just never shows, right? So it's a lie, and it does damage, even if it's a nice lie. Someone once said something to me that I thought was very profound. I thought it was very profound. He said, mostly what we get from others in life is flattery and complaint. Flattery and complaint, both of which are cheap imitations of real love. Real love gives affirmation and caring correction. If we love someone, we will use our words to give affirmation and caring correction. And that's how we'll bless and empower them. Let me take those one at a time. Caring correction. It is okay to sometimes speak difficult words to correct someone when their behavior is hurting them or others. Not criticism, not complaint, not saying something to get it off your chest because you're mad but correction that comes from wanting the best for that other person. And if that's not what's in our hearts, well, here's a hint. We need to zip it. We need to be quiet. We need to pray for a heart of love and wait until we have that heart of love before we offer the correction. You know, because as Mark Twain said, it's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think that you might be a fool rather than open it and remove all doubt. (laughs) A little bit of editing is very helpful. Edit, edit, edit. One of the things church publications are notorious for is poor editing that leads to awkward phrases. And every Christmas, we put out an alternative gift market catalog and the, the, that lists things that you can give money to to help folks in need. Things like buying a chicken for a family in the developing world or you know, providing scholarships for people to go to school. Well, a couple of years ago, a man came up to me and pointed to a line in the alternative gift market catalog that said job training for prostitutes. And he said, should we be doing this as a church? Bad editing, right? Bad editing. And then just two weeks ago, someone pointed out to me that in the bulletin, the title of the sermon was One of God's Best Gifts, followed by my name, Scott Dudley. I said, Don't you think a lot about yourself? I was like, Well, you know, and if you remember, two weeks ago, that was the sermon on sex, and we just had a really difficult time getting the title right on that one. So, edit, edit, edit. How many times have you been talking behind someone's back, you thought, only to realize they were in earshot and they might have heard you? A terrible feeling, isn't it? Or said something overly harsh and wished that you could take it back? You know, most radio and TV broadcasts have an eight-second delay button, so if somebody says something inappropriate, the producer can hit the button and bleep that part out. Don't you think God should have equipped us with an eight-second delay button? I mean, I could have used that over... In many a sermon, I could have used the eight-second delay button, Right? Now, none of that means that we can't correct people. Jesus often told some hard truths, even used strong language. He called the Pharisees a brood of vipers because they wouldn't listen to him any other way. But even when he did that, his goal was always to empower and bless and help the other person become everything God created them to be. So before we go saying the hard thing, we need to do a serious gut check. Is my motivation anger or wanting to feel superior or do I genuinely want the best for this other person? And since, as Calvin said, the powers of self-delusion are infinite, probably ought to run that by someone else as well, just to check our our hearts. And by the way, that's John Calvin the theologian, not Calvin Klein. He might have said it too, I don't know. But more than caring correction, more than caring correction, another great way to use our words is to discover the power and the joy of giving honest affirmation. Of saying sentences that begin, you know what's great about you is or you know what I admire about you is, and then just watch that person change. Let me give you two examples. Two examples. My wife has a friend who goes to another church, and a while back, some women came to that church dressed in a really low-cut shirt, grungy jeans, a lot of makeup, a couple of piercings, and nobody in that church would talk to them. They talked about them. There's plenty of talking about them, but no one would talk to them because everyone was judging them for something as trivial as how they were dressed. So Christina's friend went over and welcomed these two women, asked them questions, talked with them, had a great conversation, welcomed them in. Well, a couple of months later, she got a call from a woman who said, that was my daughter and her friend that you talked to a couple of months ago in church. And I just want you to know that years ago, my daughter ran away, and she got involved in drugs, was living the hard life. But lately, she's been calling me, writing me, wanting to reconnect. And then that day, out of the blue, she just said she wanted to go to church. So we went, and you welcomed her, you talked to her. She went away feeling like she she mattered, like she would be welcome there, like people would be kind to her there. So I want you to know the other day she came to me and she said, Mom, how do I become a Christian? Words have enormous power to bless and to heal and to transform. Let me give you a second example. Just this week, I was talking to a pastor who works in an academic environment, academic community, and I asked him, how's your soul? And he said, well, frankly, discouraged. And I said, well, why? And he said, you know, I just don't feel like I'm a good preacher, and that's some of the feedback I'm getting. He said, you know, when I preach, I'm not sure I'm I'm connecting, I feel stupid, I I, I don't know if I'm being practical. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. back up one. Stupid? I said, listen, I have talked to you a lot, we've had a lot of conversations, I've heard you preach, you know, you may have other issues in your preaching, but, but stupid isn't one of them. And then he kind of tossed it off, and he said, you know, I don't, no, I don't know about that. Now, I know why he did that, because he works in an academic environment, which sometimes feel like they're just designed to make you feel stupid, right? I mean, I spent most of my adult life in universities, and you know, people standing around, sneering at every comment you make, saying things like, you know, surely you know what Heidegger said about that, don't you? No, I don't. Enlighten me, right? But maybe it's just Stanford. I don't know. Maybe it's... Sure, it's much better up here in the Northwest. So I said to my friend... You know, no, 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 listen to me. I, s- I spent a lifetime in universities. I know stupid, I know smart. You are not stupid. The idea that you are stupid is a lie from the pit of hell. So I want you to rebuke the lie. I want you to say, in Jesus' name, go back to hell where you belong, and you can burn there for all eternity, for all I care, lie, just don't come back to me. And then I looked at him and I said, because you, my friend, probably have many problems, but stupid isn't one of them. He got five years younger in front of my eyes. Honest. His eyes lit up, he sat up straighter, he started to smile, and he said, you're right, I'll take that. I have many problems, but I'm not stupid. I felt so powerful. Look what I did with my words. I felt so powerful. I changed his whole day. I might have even changed his whole career with a few sentences. I felt so powerful. Way more fun than complaining or gossiping or lying. Jesus said that this, the devil is a liar and he is the father of all lies. So when we complain, when we gossip, when we lie, we are cooperating with the devil in building his kingdom. So this week instead, will you work to defeat the devil? Will you fill your heart with Jesus and his words so that your words reflect him? And will you live truthfully, a.k.a. don't lie, so that people trust you and you have solid trusting relationships with the people around you? And sometime before tomorrow night, will you say to someone, you know what's great about you is, and then speak affirmation and the truth of who they really are into their hearts and watch them change. If you go to the first page of the Bible, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? Did he snap his fingers? Did he blink his eyes? Did he push a button? No. It says that darkness hovered over the face of the earth and God, what's the verb? said, let there be light. Here's how much power you have. When we use words to build up and bless instead of tear down, to create bonds of trust rather than lie and destroy relationships, when we give loving correction and a lot of honest affirmation, we become co-creators with the Word of God, bringing light where there was darkness, life where there was death, joy where there was sorrow, and hope where there was despair. And let me tell you, that is the most fun you're ever going to have with your words Anyone can tear down and destroy. That is not hard to do. That's easy. Only God can bring life. And he can do that through our words. That's a lot of power. So tomorrow, before tomorrow, today, just try it out. You know what's great about you is it'll be a lot of fun. You'll see that you have power. And you will have the time of your life, I promise you. Jesus, you are the word of God made flesh. And so we ask that you would fill our hearts and fill our minds with you so that the words we speak reflect your heart, so that the words we speak reflect your love, and so that the words we speak will bring life and light and hope and joy as we partner with you in the redemption of this world. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.